All right, Matthew chapter 5. Last week we began looking at, from the book of Ephesians, we began looking at um, the idea of imitating God. And so today as we open our Bibles, and there are some Bibles on the back table back there if you need one, or you're welcome to use your phone. Um, But as we come into the Word of God, what we're looking at is how do we imitate God, and what does that look like to live our lives like Him? Because that's what the Bible instructs us to do. In fact, from the Old Testament... The Bible had even told, God had even told the people that they were to be holy as he is holy, to be perfect as he is perfect. Now that's a high standard and one that we cannot attain apart from God's righteousness and Christ's righteousness applied to us, which is what David was talking to us about today. And so the great hope of the gospel is this. If you are in Jesus Christ, if you believe in him, if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, if you believe in your heart that he has raised from the dead, the Bible tells us that he has made us a new creation in Christ and God has taken your sin and the punishment that you deserve. He put that on Jesus on the cross. So you are no longer an object of wrath or punishment or disobedience. And not only that, but he put Christ's righteousness onto you so that you would be perfect. Not because of you, Because of Christ, whose righteousness is put on you, the Bible says you are clothed in righteousness. And now, righteousness comes out of us. And we are still, this is what David's talking about with the youth, but we're still walking through life and sometimes we mess up. And we're still being sanctified. That process of looking like Jesus is called sanctification. What happens when you fail? Because we all fail. We all have sin. We are quick to come to God and say, Lord, forgive me. And God doesn't go, no. You're wrong. He says, I forgive you because Christ already took the punishment for it. Not only does he say, I forgive you, he does discipline us, which sometimes is very uncomfortable, to walk us in righteousness because we live in Christ's righteousness and that's what comes out of us now instead of those old ways of living. Paul says it this way, put off the old self. Stop dressing like that. Dress instead in his righteousness and what he's called us to. So if we're going to imitate God and we're going to be like him, God, the Bible says that we are supposed to take on his character. And so last week we talked about loving people and and just the idea of imitating God in general. This week we're going to look at being peacemakers, being peacemakers. So let me ask you a question before we jump into the word here. Um, Whether you are happy or sad about all the election things that happened, whatever, it doesn't matter for the sake of this conversation. When you turn on the news today, this morning, is that news designed, do you feel like, to bring us all together or to help keep people apart? What would you say? Do you feel like when you turn on the news that the peace of God is proclaimed in America or not so much? When you turn on the news, do you feel like the peace of God is proclaimed in St. Louis? Not so much. And so here's what the Bible says, which is starkly different to the norms of our life. Jesus says that we should be peacemakers. In Matthew chapter 5, let's read it together. These are called the Beatitudes. And Jesus is just beginning to preach. This is a famous passage called the Sermon on the Mount because he literally stands up on a mount, on a little mountain, to talk to the people. And a bunch of people gather. And Ephesians, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 5 says this, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Teachers usually sat down to teach. Verse 2, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs 
is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are, persecuting, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. But in verse 9, Jesus says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I read the whole passage, by the way, because it's, it's a great path. You can't just take one verse out of that and just what Jesus is saying. Isn't it shocking? If you had 5,000 people come to hear you speak, would you start with these statements? This is not the grabber sentence that all the English teachers told us that we're supposed to use whenever you're a public speaker in a writing. But Jesus just flips everything upside down. And he's talking to a people who are disenfranchised and oppressed. And he's telling them what real blessing looks like. And in verse 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. If you could have anything written on your tombstone, any phrase, being called a son of God, ready, an inheritor of the reward of God, a partaker in the family business of God, a joint heir, a co-heir with Christ for all that God is doing in the earth, a person who is invested in God's investments for life, a family member of God in all that he is doing in the world. Those would be some pretty great things to put on a tombstone, wouldn't they? And that's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are the peacemakers, these people who make peace everywhere they go. They are the ones who are the inheritors of what God is really doing in the world. Which, if you are an oppressed people, and Rome has you under their boot, you would think, blessed are the warriors who fight against the oppression. But Jesus flips it around and he says instead, if you exude the character of God out of your life, it looks like making peace, not like bringing war. It looks like looking for God's desires in the earth, which is peace, instead of just fighting for what you want to do. And that's a stark, interesting thing. Turn with me again in your Bible, please, to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Those apps are great, by the way, and you should totally use them. Listening to the Bible is fantastic. The Crossway app is my favorite, and it will read to you just like that. It's all right. Trace, can you give her a hand? It's all right. Um, okay, so Matthew chapter 26, we're going to read that in a minute. Uh, think with me for just a second about Thanksgiving. What are you super excited about for Thanksgiving? What do you, want to, you can actually answer. Not a rhetorical question. Yeah. Seeing family. Isn't that great? Seeing family. Amen to that. Anybody else? What are you thankful for, excited about? It's at somebody else's house. Yeah. No, that's real. That is a real thing. Yeah. Because Wednesday night, not fun. Not fun when you're hosting. 
If you're hosting, God bless you. God bless you. What else? What are you excited about? Christmas music starting. Some people very excited. Some people not. All right. Okay. Okay. Any other things? What are you excited about? Green bean casserole. What was that? Fried turkey. Fried turkey. Awesome. Not just not just turkey. Fried turkey. Oh man, that's going to be good. Who's excited for the nap? The nap. The inevitable nap. That's pretty good. Okay. So let me ask you this. Who is not excited? You don't have to answer this one. This is one is rhetorical. Who is not excited to see family? Certain people in the family. Who is anticipating not the nap, but the fight that will happen? Who's anticipating the critique of the turkey? Who's anticipating the political talk that's going to come out at some point and is going to divide the family? Who's anticipating the one uncle or the one aunt or the one whoever you know it's going to get a little weird, and it's going to get weird. And then the stuff that happens after that. Who's anticipating the family drama? Now, those things, I mention that because it's real, isn't it? And quite honestly, you can mention one of like 50 topics and start a pretty good fight if you want to, especially right now because of the news cycle. Now, whether those fights are warranted or not, we're not talking about that today. We are talking about, though, the idea of being a peacemaker is not just in terms of insurrections against countries. Being a peacemaker is not just a person who goes and joins the Peace Corps to help and do things. It's not a pacifist person. It's not what we're talking about. A peacemaker is a person who, when they come into a situation, diffuses those situations because they give and present something different than what the world usually fights about. And we're going to see an example of that right now. So let's read together in Matthew chapter 26. Jesus is, uh, has gone to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, he knows his destiny in Jerusalem is to die for his people. That's why he's gone there. The Bible tells us he has set his face like flint, like hard stone, to go to Jerusalem because he has resolved that he will do this thing. And this thing that he will do is, he knows once he gets there, he will suffer and die a traitor's death, because that's what he's doing in a mega sense. He's not just going to suffer and die a traitor's death against Rome. He's going to suffer and die a traitor's death against God because he is taking the punishment for sin. Sin is rebellion against God. It's being a traitor to him. It's thinking of our own selfish desires more than we think about his desires. And that permeates us and the selfishness comes out of us. And it is sin because we were created to worship God. And as those who were destined, made, formed to be worshipers, if we worship anything other than the creator who created us and we rebel against him, that's sin. That's a definition of sin. You've gone against the order of the God of the universe. And Jesus, out of love for those who he has, whom the Father has called, is going to die the traitor's death that we deserve. That's where he's going. That's what he's going to do. And it's such a burden on him. Because remember, Jesus is God. He is God. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's the Son forever. But he also is a man. He became a man for us. Why did he do that? He did that because if somebody's got to take the punishment for sin, it's got to be a family member. A family member has to take it. And so he becomes a man for us. He's fully God. He's fully man. And he comes up to this mountain into this garden called Gethsemane. And he starts praying. And his prayer is, Lord, if there's any other way, 
because he knows the Father, they're one, it's, he is God, right? The, the Trinity is a mystery. But he's praying to the Father and he says, Lord, I know you want these people. I want them too. Is there any other way than going this route? Is it only my blood that will redeem them? Is there anything else we can do? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And the Father resoundingly answers, no, there is no other way. You will go. This is the greatest no answer from a parent to a child in history. Because if he had answered yes, there, there is no other way. If he had decided to spare his own son, instead of saving us, there would be no hope for us. And Jesus is so tormented in his spirit, not conflicted, because he, he set his desire to do this, but he knows what's coming. And the stress of it, if you will, is causing him to sweat blood. Some angels come to minister to him. He had brought his three closest friends up to pray with him. They've fallen asleep for sorrow, it says, because they know this. They don't even fully comprehend what's happening, but they have the sense that something is happening. And he goes to wake them up, and he says, couldn't you just pray with me a little while? And yet I find you here sleeping. And he says, so sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man, that's himself, is betrayed into the hands of sinners. But let us be going. My betrayer is at hand, he says. And then in Matthew 26, 47, let's read together what happens. While he, that's Jesus, was still speaking, Judas came who was one of the twelve, his closest friends and disciples. And with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one who I will kiss, that's the man, sees him. And he came up to Jesus at once, and he said, Greetings, Rabbi! And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came and they laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who was with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew a sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear, aiming for his head. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? that it must be so. At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day, by, day after day, I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures and the prophets might be fulfilled. Then the disciples left him and fled. Thank the Lord for his word. Think about this scene for a moment. Jesus, who you've been following for years, say you're one of the disciples. Jesus, has, you've been following for years. He's sorrowful. You've maybe never seen him like this. I mean, you've seen him. He's, he's been exhausted before, all kind of stuff. He's been in a little bit of anguish sometimes. He wept for his friend Lazarus when he died. You've seen a lot of emotions. You've never seen him sweat blood. He's in, he, something's happening here. And he's just finished a meal with you, a very important religious meal, in which he changed all the wording of what you're used to. And he said, I'm about to die. And you're like, no, that's not going to happen. In fact, your buddy said, Jesus, don't say that. Don't say that. That's silly talk. And Jesus looked at him and said, stop talking Satan to your friend. And you're, so everybody's on edge. Nobody knows what to say. Nobody knows what to do. 
Then you go to this garden in the middle of the night. It's really dark. There's no electricity. This place is kind of run down. You go up there. Everybody's got their torches and they're talking. And then Jesus says to that guy who we just called Satan a little while ago and two more, hey, come pray with me. And you guys pray too. But you guys come with me. We're going to go over here. And you're like, I don't know what's happening here. So you start to pray. Everybody falls asleep. Then you wake up to Jesus who's got sweat on his brow. And he's saying, couldn't you just bear with me a little while? Now he's talking about betrayal. I don't know what's going on. And then... A crowd comes. Oh, it's Judas, though. We know him. This is great. Judas, how you doing? But then we notice the crowd, they're not coming to learn and to have teachings, which is usually what happens. They have swords and clubs, and there's soldiers with them. That's not usual. And I can recognize a couple of these guys are pretty important dudes. What is happening here? And then Judas walks up, kisses the master, and he's saying language about betrayal. What's, what's happening here? Especially because for three years you've been following Jesus and you're pretty sure at any minute he's going to make this whole Roman thing right. He's going to do something. And probably at any minute because you've seen him heal people and, I mean, people have raised from the dead around him. People just touched him and got healed. He didn't even do anything. This guy, he, you got to follow this guy. I mean, he's the guy. So at any minute he's going to do something. And I've read the Old Testament probably... There's going to be like fire and brimstone come down on Rome. And then like, whoo, kingdom, we're going to be good. So I'm waiting for that. Instead, they're arresting Jesus. And Jesus has slipped away through crowds before, but he's not doing it now. He's just standing there. And one of the guys, the same guy who said about the, don't talk about being crucified, and he got called Satan, he got brought in to pray anyway, and he fell asleep, and he's feeling bad for falling asleep. Somehow he's got a sword now. And he's aiming for this dude's head, misses, cuts off his ear. What is going on? Now imagine you're part of the crowd. You're a soldier. You work for the high priests. You're on the other side. And you walk in. And they told you before you came, listen, this guy, he can do anything. He slips through crowds. He says stuff and things happen. He breaks bread, and it just keeps breaking until there's enough food for everybody. I don't know what kind of magic things he does, but he can do it. So if this wizard guy opens his mouth, fight. Because he and his disciples, they'll probably kill you. Probably. So let's be ready. Get your best arms. We're not going to take this lightly. Don't go up there with nothing. He seems all docile, but if we try to arrest him, it could go south fast. So we're going to bring, they got, what, 12, 13 guys up there? Let's, we need 50, maybe 100. Let's bring a bunch. All right, so everybody got your torches? Let's go. Remember, don't let him open his mouth. And we go up there. They, hey, what's the signal? The signal is that dude there, we paid him. He's an insider. He, he's a, he, he turned. So he's with us. He's a good guy. He's been our spy the last couple weeks. When he kisses somebody, that's who we arrest. You ready? All right, I'm ready. Then you go up there, and one of the guys next to Jesus pulls out a weapon and swings it and cuts a dude's ear off. How do you feel? What do you do? What do you do? If you were coming out somewhere and an altercation outside a movie theater, saw a movie that's really popular to do at Thanksgiving, see a movie, great time, it doesn't matter 
who in your family it is. It doesn't matter if on Thanksgiving night you fought relentlessly for hours. If something happens to one of your family members, do you just stand there and go, peace, everybody? Peace? No. What do you do? You fight. And this is natural. This is what the world teaches us, right? This is what you're supposed to do. You defend. That's what Peter's doing. Pulls out a sword to defend Jesus. What do you think that crowd's going to do with their swords? Think this is going to be a happy moment? So there's one element that in this story is out of place. Only one thing. Everything else is the scene for a great movie. This would be a very thrilling film. The movie is political leaders coming to arrest the insurrectionist, who's actually the hero of the story. He's actually going to change everything and make it better. But he's coming to be arrested. And now they're going to have a fight in Gethsemane. It's the brawl of Gethsemane. And so we're setting the scene. The hero is in anguish. He's looking to his people, help me, stand with me. And now the moment of truth. They're going to have to really show their mettle to stand with the Savior. Can you see it? Here comes the bad guys. They're coming up. There's so many of them. It's 10 to 1. The odds are not in our favor. What do we do? We're going to get them in the gates. And then they're betrayed with a kiss. How could this be? But the this is Sparta moment doesn't happen. What you expect is fighting. What you expect is death. What you expect is heroics. What you expect is name-calling something, anything. There's going to be a big fight here. But there's one difference in the story, and it's a hand that reaches out. That one hand that reaches out does not fight, does not even just concede. He heals. He heals. And he doesn't tell Peter, put that up, get, throw it down. They're going to kill us all. He just put it away. He doesn't say don't carry that anymore. He says put that away and heals this guy. Now what do you do? I'm telling you right now, this scene should have been a bloody mess. It should be, in a natural. If you heard this on the news, everybody dies in the news because there's no way that this scene ends in some kind of peaceful resolution. Also, the disciples flee without getting beat up. How does that happen? It happens because Jesus heals a guy. Because Jesus opens his mouth, reaches out his hand, and what everybody's afraid of, the magic he might do, he's not magic, he's God. And when he reaches out and touches the guy who's the servant of the guy who's trying to arrest him, he heals his ear. And then the whole crowd goes, huh. And the scene changes. And then Jesus says some stuff, and they take him away. Instead of shackles, the troops yell things, that's what you would expect. Instead, the king of creation says a couple words about scripture being fulfilled, and the chief priest guys are like, okay, and take him. And he just walks with them. The Bible tells us like a lamb going to the slaughter because he knows where he is headed. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? What does it mean to reach out Thanksgiving night instead of preparing for the fight that you are prepared to heal, that you are prepared to offer what Jesus offers? You see, Jesus is going from this place to be tried and convicted and executed because he is our peace. Without Jesus, without his life and death and resurrection, we have no peace. 
We're not at peace with God. We're not at peace with ourselves. We're not at peace with each other. We're not at peace, period, without Jesus Christ fulfilling in all righteousness the peace that brings us back to God, which is his blood shed for us. If his blood is not shed, then we are all under the wrath and punishment of God 24-7. The Bible tells us that we are God's enemies apart from him. We are objects of wrath apart from him. We are dead in our trespasses apart from Jesus Christ. But because Jesus died for us, he is our peace. And now you don't come to God and say, well, Lord, I did pretty good. You know, I made a great green bean casserole at Thanksgiving. And so that should count some points for something. Because those count no points. And all the times you told the truth count no points. Because if you lied once, you disobeyed everything. Because his standard is perfection. Be holy, God said, as I am holy. Unless you are here, you fail. And we cannot ever get there. The best amongst us. Mother Teresa could not get there. Mary Magdalene could not get there. Nobody can get there. But God sent his son, who not only could get there, is there, was there, always, never failed. In his perfect obedience, his perfect holiness, he went to the cross, not as one deserving punishment, but as one taking our deserved punishment upon himself. And he died for us in our place. And now we don't have peace because we say, Lord, you did a great job and I'm, I kind of like you. We have peace because we say, Lord, your death and resurrection is everything. And I trust you more than I trust my ability to make the peace my ability to do it right. I trust you more than I trust me. And so I'm giving everything I have to you. Forgive me, make me yours. I believe in you. And the Bible says if you just believe, you're saved. But how can, shouldn't there be more of a cost? But there's not because he's so good. You just believe in him. And you say, Lord, I'm yours. Now, that costs everything because he will change you. He will change your heart. He will change your desires. He will change your thoughts. He will change how you live. He will change your patterns. He will change your habits. He will change your preconceived ideas. He will change your prejudices. I know a guy who was vehemently prejudiced against black people. Got saved, and the next day he's like, I, I feel like giving money to Africa. What? What? He goes, I, I, I think I'm supposed to do something. I, I don't know. Because that's what the gospel does. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for us and made us his. It changes us. When God, when Jesus reached out healing upon the servant and healed his ear, it's not just, understand, it's not just healing that that guy received. He now received a touch from the creator of all things and his savior and redeemer. Do you think he followed that trial closely? I guarantee you. I guarantee you, when you reach out and offer something, oftentimes you say, be a peacemaker, offer peace. Hey, I'll concede. You know, when in Rome, be like the Romans, right? So we're here, don't worry about it. Just tonight, we're not gonna be Republicans, we're not gonna be Democrats, we're not even gonna be independents, or libertarian, or communist, socialist, anything, we're nothing, we're not even Americans, we're just people, okay? That's what we are tonight, it's Thanksgiving. So we're people, be people! That's what we do. And so we forget about it. Peace means it to the world. Ah, oh, just don't worry about it. The problem is it doesn't go away, does it? It does not go away. 
And the discussions don't go away, and the addictions don't go away, and the habits don't go away, and the hurt doesn't go away, and the brokenness does not go away. And then you're left with all those effects trying to forget about them, and it doesn't work. And you're just filled with guilt and brokenness and hurt and anger at God because nothing is okay. And what did Jesus do? He went to the cross for us and died for us to take all that junk and put it upon him on the cross so that you would know the righteousness and the wholeness of God. So when you extend peace, that doesn't mean let's forget about the issues. You know, you can talk about issues and be peaceful. You can do that. We should do that. That's a good thing. But you do that because when we extend peace, we don't extend our idea of peace. We extend the peacemaker and say, have you met Jesus? This is, this is him. You know, the Bible tells us that a kind word can diffuse wrath. A kind word can diffuse wrath. And as things get weird and somebody at the table says, well, you Republicans pigs or you Democrat snobs or you whatever, or you Cubs fans, or you Cardinals nation jerks, I, whatever it is, doesn't, but you, we can find a lot of things to fight about, can't we? And instead of kind word, you know, I see, I see in you that God made you for a special purpose. I see it in you. And I know it, because I know him. I want you to know him. Th that's peace. I see in you. When I look at you, and I know we disagree all the time about stuff, and I'm telling you right now, it's hard to talk to you, bud. But I'm going to be honest with you. I would rather know you and be your uncle, your nephew, your friend, than not know you. Because God put us in life together. Instead of, God, why would you put this guy in my life? Because that's what we do, isn't it? Then the family leaves, and you talk to your husband, your wife. You're like, if they're not dead in two years, I'm going to be shocked. Well, I, I'm not going to the funeral. I refuse. Why did God put this jerk? How everybody else turned out fine. What the heck? That's, right? This is what happens. Instead of, Lord, you know, I'm praying for, I'm going to pray every day until Christmas for you. Because I can see the stuff you're going through. I can see what's going on. I don't, totally don't agree with you, man. But I can see the hurt. And I know one person who's a solution. His name's Jesus. Why don't you come with me to Christmas? How, what would that look like? What would it look like to have the restoration of a whole family come to Christmas? Come here to Christmas. Everybody come here. Let's fill this place out. But whatever church you go to, wherever you go, could you imagine the restoration of being in a meeting that's proclaiming the name of Jesus with the whole family? That doesn't that sound like God? Why? Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called sons of God, inheritors of the family business. What is the family business? All things, all things in heaven and on earth, all things reconciled back to Christ that he would be all in all. That's the family business. It's a big business. It's huge business. And it starts with you extending your hand to say, let me show you healing. It's, his name is Jesus. Let me show you my peace. His name is Jesus. And if they smack your hand back, you say, cool. Let's go have pumpkin pie. Because it's your peace. Why? Because are you going to fight tonight and draw your sword? Or are you going to let your hand just offer him? And then let God do it. And rest in the pumpkin pie and take a nap saying, Lord, you're in charge of the family. Instead of, I can't take a nap because I can't, if I leave these two in the room, this is going to be bad and then it's going to be weird and we won't talk for two years. 
And that's, and you know what, maybe, but God's bigger than two years. He's bigger. Let's trust him. What does it look like to trust him? A couple weeks ago, we talked about trusting God looks like putting all your weight on him. Like you're trusting the chair right now you're sitting in. You're not balancing on one toe to try to be ready for when the chair falls. That's what it looks like to believe in Jesus. That's also what it looks like to say, Lord, my family's yours. I made the best green bean casserole I can. I hope you're honored. I hope they like it. I'm just going to offer you tonight. Now, if you have a discussion about politics, God bless you. Great. I'm not saying don't talk about politics. I'm not saying don't talk about sports. I'm not saying avoid all the things. I'm not saying that. I'm saying what are you prepared to extend? Have you already got ammunition? Have you already thought about it? Well, when you see this, I'm going to do this right there. Yep. You didn't see that coming, did you? Instead, to say, my Savior heals. I want to see healing. I want to see healing for our family. And he's in charge of all that stuff. What happens if they hurt you deep? Then they hurt you deep. Every one of us in the room can talk about somebody in your family that hurt you deep. Everybody. Bring it to him. He's the peacemaker. Lord, I am struggling with this guy. I am struggling with this. She hurt me so bad, I don't even think I can see her face. And Lord, now I'm supposed to go have Thanksgiving with her. I don't even think I can do it, and I don't want to go. What does it look like to extend the peacemaker to your own heart? And say, Lord, heal me. Heal me, because she can't heal me. You have to heal me. And now you walk in him because we apply the gospel even to ourselves, that he is our hope, he is our trust. I'm trusting you like I trust that chair. And I don't have one grudge. Half my family is Irish, I can tell you about it. I don't have that one grudge I'm holding on to that's gonna keep me going. Instead, I put it all at your feet, Jesus, because you are so good and you took the cross for me. And out of your love, because you are the ultimate peacemaker, you, the Son of God, made ultimate peace for us that we can be called sons of God and peacemakers in you. And it's better, isn't it? It's better. You know, a lot of times I like to end these sermons with a big story. And I want it to be emotional and good. And I want you to feel like, wow. I'm not going to do it today because of this reason. Every one of us right now, you got Thanksgiving coming up or whatever. Something came to your mind. Work, something came to your mind where you know. And I'm telling you right now, if it came to your mind, that's the Lord saying, that's where you're supposed to be a peacemaker. And those stories, those testimonies of what God does are more valuable than the story I can share with you right now to try to clinch this in your heart. And so let me clinch this in your heart. God has called you as his son, if you believe in Jesus, to be a peacemaker. If you don't know Jesus and you do not have the peace of God in your heart, throw yourself down before him, trust him like you trust the chair and say, Lord, I believe in you and I trust you. Change me, make me yours. And he will. If you know there's a situation you're going into and you're not prepared for it, say, Lord, I trust you more than I trust myself. That I don't have to prepare and prepare and prepare. And instead, I'm just, I know you're going to be there. And I'll encourage everybody. Because I can say, 30 years I fought with her. 30 years. But God did this. And we've all heard stories like that. And they're better, aren't they? And I want that for all of us that we all come to the gospel, we all come to Jesus, and we see Jesus glorified as all in all in every family, at every Thanksgiving, and everywhere we go. Amen?
So let me pray for you. Will you stand? Receive this blessing as we pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that on the night he was betrayed, as horrible as that was, as heartbreaking as it was, as difficult as it was, thank you, Lord, that you brought peace to a situation that should have been murder. How incredible. Lord, even going to the cross, you demonstrated such grace and such perfect obedience and such perfect peace. Lord, thank you that you didn't give up. Thank you that you didn't answer Christ to say, yeah, I'll find another way. Thank you that you didn't abandon us. But instead, Lord, you gave us your son who died for us, who rose again, and who defeated sin and defeated death. Lord, we believe in you. And Lord, now, based on the, on the power of your gospel, you are a great peacemaker. Help us to be peacemakers. Help us, God. We want to be called sons of God. We want to involve in the family business. And so, Lord, starting with this Thanksgiving coming up, the work leading up to it, the finishing work so at, at our job so that we have time to spend with family, the drama that family sometimes has, the difficulty of kids, the difficulty of parents, the difficulty of in-laws, the difficulty of aunts and uncles, the difficulty of schedules, and just trying to get together. Lord, there's so much. And then adding on to that all these concerns and fights and grudges and you know all the things. But Lord, you are our peacemaker. So Lord, I ask you in the mighty name of Jesus, be with every family. Lord, every family here, I pray that you would fill them with your peace and your grace, that you would give them the right words, that you would help them to be diffusers of situations, that they would reach out hands of healing and hands of gospel instead of hands of harm. Lord, help our gut reactions to be from you and not from ourselves. Lord, I pray that this year would be a year of seeing fruit and harvest, that we would see righteousness born in our families, that we would see unity born in our families. Father, bring us back together again, we pray. Lord, let righteousness ring in our families, God. And so, Lord, I pray for every person here, for every peacemaker, for every son and daughter of God that's here, I pray, know, know for certain the calling of the Father who has called you by name. Know for certain the rule of the Son who is forever on the throne and oversees the celestial stars of the sky and also oversees your Thanksgiving dinner. And know the power of the Holy Spirit who is with you, God with you, who will give you the words who will remind you of the scripture, who will help you in your attitude, who will cause you to walk with Christ and not to give in to selfishness so that you can be a peacemaker because that is who you are called in him. Be blessed this week and know he is with you. God bless you. Have an excellent week and we'll see you next week Sunday. Blessing. Good night. Good